Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to welcome you back to the program again today. Uh, we took a one-week break from the series we were doing on Joshua to talk about Thanksgiving. Of course, Thanksgiving's past now. But we wanted to jump back in here because I uh, was in California a week or so ago and was able to catch my son's uh, live stream from when he was sharing to his church uh, on some of the things we were talking about, about Joshua. And he, he made some profound uh, uh, you know, uh, analogies and contrast to the destruction of Jericho with the destruction of Jerusalem. And I thought it was so profound that I called him and said, let's, let's film this again. Uh, but in order to do that, he is on the set with me today, and it's good to have you again, yep. uh, Jeremy. Uh, my son Jeremy's pastor of Word That Frees Church in Winchester, Virginia. You can tune into their live feed by hitting him on Facebook and uh, and uh, following them, and you can watch some of his live streams right now. They're still doing some stuff virtually. Uh, but, uh, you know, I really felt like we needed to talk about this a little bit, and he's asked me to kind of, uh, you know, jump in here a little bit more because this is a little bit of my area of expertise. But we're going to kind of introduce this and talk about it for the next couple of weeks because I think it was very powerful, some of the things that he shared. Uh, over the last season, uh, you know, I've, I've done a lot of stuff, Jeremy, uh, you know, talking about, you know, all through the, the scriptures, there's this incredible Exodus paradigm. In other words, you know, uh, there's so many things that are parallels to the Exodus and the wilderness journey and the coming into the promised land. And to kind of set the stage for it, you know, Revelation, the 11th chapter, verse number eight said, in their dead bodies, speaking of the two witnesses, which I believe symbolize Moses and Elijah because they have the power to shut up the heavens that it rained not during the days of their prophecy and, uh, you know, that smite the earth as often as they will with plagues. That, to me, mm -hmm. is pretty clearly talking about Moses and Elijah or, if you will, the law and the prophets is what that symbolizes to me. But she sa he says in that tra chapter, their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom in Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. And uh, it's, it's clear that our Lord was not crucified in Sodom or Egypt. Our Lord was crucified in Jerusalem. Yeah. But the Holy Spirit is giving you a spiritual analogy that Egypt is being compared here, like, you know, the, the, the whole mentality of a slave system. Under the old covenant, we're slaves and servants. Mm -hmm. In the new covenant, we're sons and heirs. But uh, under, the, uh, under the, that slave system of bondage, it was like, you know, uh, Egyptian bondage. And for the first time, my mind began to shift that uh, we always thought, well, you know, uh, uh, the e Egyptian slavery was the slavery of the world. Mm -hmm. But it really was not just the slavery of the world. It can be that, but the Spirit is really identifying the city where our Lord was crucified as Sodom and Egypt. And so when you see that there is an Exodus paradigm that we're coming out of Egypt, what we're really coming out of is we're coming out of a religious bondage, yep. and especially as it relates to the Old Covenant. And I think we've probably talked about this a great deal uh, over the periods of weeks that if you followed our ministry at all, you probably remember us talking about this kind of stuff. But, you know, Jesus, uh, when he meets with Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, the Bible said that Moses spoke to him concerning his decease. Well, the word decease there is the Greek word exodus. So here's the leader of the first exodus talking to the leader 
of another exodus. And he said, I, I, I used a woolly lamb to deliver them from Egypt, but you're the real lamb of yep. God. And so there's this exodus paradigm all the way through the scripture, even as, uh, you know, um, you know, Jesus on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection walked with the disciples and said, beginning at Moses, he began to tell them all things concerning himself. And so you see this Exodus paradigm. And I was sharing this weekend when I was in Tennessee out of this newest book, by the way, which has a whole chapter on it called The Great I Am, where Jesus said, I am the true bread that came down from heaven. In John chapter 6, they leave the feast of Passover. They cross the Sea of Tiberias, and they're in a wilderness. And there's a multitude that needs to be fed, and the disciples come to him, and Jesus said, you, feed, you know, the people are hungry. And Philip said, uh, Lord, you know, where, where can we go to buy food? He said, he, he told you feed them, because he himself knew what he would do. The reason he knew what he would do is because this is not the first time that he's ever fed a multitude in the wilderness. And everything about that whole miracle should have screamed another exodus because they crossed this, they had just had the feast of Passover, just crossed the Sea of Tiberias in, their wilder, in the wilderness. Just like when they left Egypt, they left at the yep. Passover, they crossed the sea, and they're in the wilderness. And it's there that he feeds the multitudes. And the multitudes look at him and say, or, or the disciples looked at him and said, or, or not, not the disciples, but the multitude said to him, you know, uh, what sign do you show us? What, what, I, I, you know, I, I, what sign? You know, he just fed 5,000. And to me, it's like, it's crazy that they would say, what sign do you show us? Because every Jewish person there should have remembered the Exodus journey. And when he said, you know, uh, what sign do you show us? He quotes from the Exodus again. And he says, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they're dead. In other words, you thought that was the bread. That's not the bread. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. So he was really dealing with another exodus. And I won't take a long time, mm -hmm. you know, to unpack that, except to say they were leaving, you know, the bondage of a religious bondage of law and legalism. Yep. And then the night before his decease, he says, with great desire, I desire to eat this Passover because, you know, he knows this is the last time that they're ever going to have to kill a, a woolly lamb. Yep. And so, uh, you know, he eats, he said, this is my body, this is my body, it was broken for you, and this is the blood of the new covenant. In other words, he was inaugurating another exodus out of an old covenant and into a new covenant. He parallels again uh, in the letter when he starts talking about Babylon, the great harlot, he uses another icon, and I know you're going to talk about the city in a little mm -hmm. bit here. But when he starts talking about, uh, you know, uh, the great harlot, the whore of Babylon, he makes this important, important analogy. He said, in her was found the blood of all of the martyrs, uh, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zacharias. Jesus himself prophesied in Matthew 23 and pointed at the city of Jerusalem. He said, you are the ones who killed the prophets and stoned them that were sent to you, that upon you, upon this generation, not, not somewhere in the future, but upon that apostate generation would come the blood of all that were slain on the earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zacharias. So the, the, the harlot city of the book of Revelation is not, you know, uh, what, uh, you know, a lot of people thought, well, it's a Catholic church, which I disagree with that. Mm -hmm. Or it's, it's whatever form of religion you look at. And I mean, certainly there are harlot systems that you could point to, but the mother of harlots was old covenant Judaism of which Jerusalem was the centerpiece. So when we're talking about an exodus, we're talking about coming out of something. Mm -hmm. But we've been coming out, but now it's time to shift to going in. But let me just get this, because I think this is so powerful. 
to set the stage a little bit, it's Revelation, the third chapter, to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. To me, that doesn't just speak about, you know, the church where we're at, where there's lukewarm. It's, it, I'd rather you are old covenant or new covenant, yep. hot or cold. So then because you are neither cold nor hot, I, I, I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you're lukewarm, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Paul calls the mixture of long grace a perversion of the gospel. Because you say I'm rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I count you to be a vibe gold tried in a fire, that you may be rich and, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And to anoint your eyes with eyesight that you may see as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open to me, uh, I will come to him and will sup with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, even as I'm overcoming and sit down with my father in his throne. To me, when I, this, you know, when he's, he's standing at the door knocking and he's saying to a first century church, the lukewarm church, I want you to be cold or hot, uh, uh, old covenant or new covenant, because everything, I know I'm taking a long time to no, introduce this, but uh, you know, uh, everything about these seven churches, and again, this is in this book uh, called The Revelation of Jesus Christ, and you can get that as well. But, uh, you know, everything he tells these churches to repent of, which is the Greek word metanoia, means to change your mind, change is your to mind. move from an old covenant to a new covenant way of thinking. So this inauguration of I will sup with you, as he's talking about, I'm going to eat the covenant meal with you. Mm-hmm. We're going to shift from, if you can repent and change the way you think, I will come and sup with you. In other words, I'm going to renew the covenant meal. This is not just a generic meal. He said, I'm going to sup with you. This is the, 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 the inauguration of a new covenant. And he's talking about you know, the first usage of the word church uh, is where he, it's called, when they came out of Egypt, he calls them the church in the wilderness. Of course, you know, from Revelation chapter 4 on, the church is never mentioned. And sometimes people say, well, it's because the rapture took place between chapter 3 and chapter 4, to which I strongly disagree. The, the reason the church is never mentioned after chapter 4 is because they are no longer in the wilderness. They're not just coming out anymore. They're, going, yeah. they're not the called out ones. Now they're being brought in. And when he says, if you hear my voice and open to me, I will open to you and, you know, uh, this door will be open and you can sit with me in my throne. And then chapter 4 opens says, after this, I saw a door open. It's the same door that he was knocking on above, the door into the new covenant. And the same throne he's offering us to sit on was an entrance into the everlasting kingdom of God, where we not where we go when we die, but where we enter into when we come out of the wilderness and enter into our promised land. So there's a great transition here. And all through the book of Revelation, you see uh, plagues that are repeated. And we may talk about that a little bit more mm-hmm. later, but they're the same plagues of Egypt, because what's happening is this generation is once again missing their entrance into the promised land. And you probably can jump in there at some place with yeah. something like that. Just kind of introduces it a little bit to give people yeah, an idea. I know we got. I know we got some time to you know. With uh, we're probably going to we're going to film a couple of these. So I'm going to take some time too. You know, when we when I when we went we went virtual because of the pandemic. Uh, I just felt it was very. Uh, I I just really felt in my spirit I had to be very meticulous about how I was teaching. That it wasn't just putting stuff out there, but I really want to be meticulous. Yep about the things that we taught because I think, you know, with Facebook and these things, it's archived. Yeah. And people might not watch you in that moment, but they watch you later. Yeah. And then once they find you yeah, and they start hearing the truth, they want to listen more and more. And so we started out with the words in red 
and showing the context of scriptures and things that, you know, when Jesus would say stuff and what he, who he was talking to, uh, the audience, the, the context, all those things are important, you know. And so even Matthew 24, you know, when he's talking in that place, they brought him outside of that city and yeah. said, they're showing him the walls of this temple. And they said, what do you think? And Jesus said, you see all these things? There won't be one stone here that won't be left upon another that won't be torn down. And they ask him, well, when will these things be? And then he starts going, there's going to be wars, rumors of wars. And everybody that teaches, well, a lot of teachings that comes out of that is always putting that out to the future. Yeah. But the context of that scripture is they are showing him the buildings of that temple that was literally standing in front of him. Yep. And he said, these are going to be torn down. And they ask him, when will these things be? And he says, this generation will not pass yep. until all this is being fulfilled. And he said, it will be a tribulation like never was nor ever will be again, yeah. and this generation will not pass yeah. until all that. So while there are many people that are waiting on a tribulation to come, the tribulation that Jesus was talking about happened within that 40-year period exactly. that he was talking to that people in that context. So understanding context is important. And so we have, you know, I said, let, let me say this before you go on, because mm -hmm. that Jesus gave that prophecy in about 30 AD, and it came to pass exactly 40 years later in 70 AD, which is the exact length of the wilderness journey was yep. 40 years. So they had another 40 years to come out. No, I made that, I was bringing that scripture in because it's going to be important yep. as yep. we study Go this ahead. anyway. Uh, you know, and then we began the book of Romans. But then when I went into the book of Joshua, uh, I really, what really brought me back, because I've taught it, I've taught it before in the past, and it's a book I keep coming back to. But uh, yeah, when I was really thinking about what does the Lord want me to kind of share next, uh, the book of Joshua began to stand out because he's standing in, I believe it's chapter 13 of the book of Joshua. They have entered the promised land, but there's still this vast amount of the promised land that has not been received as inheritance. Yeah. And Joshua looks at the people and he says, I think there was still like uh, something like eight, nine tribes out of the 12 that had not received their inheritance yet. And he's looking at them and he says, how long will you not inherit your inheritance? Think about that. How long will you not move? So he, there are houses here, cities here that are... Un, that are inhabited, and these inhabitants are not there to keep you out. They're there to keep your inheritance until you receive it. Yeah. And he says, I, so then he begins, begins to send people out to, to, to walk the land. He says, I want you to walk the land, describe it, talk about what it's, what's there. Talk about the cities, describe it, write it down. He says, and when you come here, he says, I'm going to begin to divide this land up. And he says, I want you to begin to enter in. And I thought about, you know, we are, here we are. There are so many people think that we're still waiting to receive the promises of God or that there's still something yet to come when God is, we're literally living in a promised land right now. I mean, that's what the Spirit really began to speak to me from that scripture is that you're literally standing in the promised land right now. Everything's in this available life, right It's now. available right now. How long will you not inherit your yep. inheritance? Yep. How long will we not receive all that God has for us and just live in, you know, uh, almost like we, I seen somebody post uh, on Facebook, a preacher friend of ours, and he said, you know, uh, getting your needs met is not your inheritance. Babies get their needs met. Yeah. Sons are entrusted with an inheritance. Yeah. You know, and so it's important that we understand that we're not here. I'm not even just talking about getting our needs met in this life. I'm talking about receiving the inheritance of what God has for us. 
But when I began to look through the patterns of this scripture, and so we, you know, we spent many weeks talking about them crossing the Jordan, and, and we talked about the, uh, the circumcision, I think, in one, one of them, and talking about how that was the picture of the new covenant. But we talked about how when they came out of Egypt, and in Egypt is a picture of that bondage of the law. They were slaves to the law. They were in bondage to it. They come across the Red Sea. The Red Sea speaks of, the, of, of baptism, you know, the water baptism. Uh, John the Baptist was all about the water baptism, but he said, there's one comes after me who's not going to just baptize you with water, but he's going to baptize you in the Spirit. Crossing of the Jordan really speaks of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, They spent 40 years in this wilderness, though. And the reason they spent 40 years in this wilderness is because when the spies that were sent into the land the first time came back, they came, 10 of them came back, 10 the number of the law, came back with an evil report, and so when, when the law is, when the law, Paul says, when the law is given, shuts sin is shuts up faith. Because they could not, they, they heard the report that there's giants in the land. It's a land that's, you know, the inhabitants swallow it up. They shut down on faith and did not enter into their, they spent 40 years in the wilderness. That whole generation died in the wilderness. Going back to Matthew 23, they asked Jesus, when will these things be? He says, this generation will not pass until all be fulfilled. It's a 40-year period that either you're going to die in unbelief yep, or you're going to get a hold of what Jesus is saying and you're going to mix it with faith and you're going to enter into the promised land. Yep. That's what happened to those that were believers. And that's what happened even to the Gentile nations that were hearing the gospel. When we get over here, after they were circumcised in chapter... Uh, in chapter 5, they're being circumcised. After they are healed, they're standing outside. They're, they're looking over at the city of Jericho. And Jericho is a walled city, and it's the first city you come into, uh, the great city they're seeing. Yep. Joshua's looking at this city, and he encounters a man on a horse. And he asks him, he said, you know, the man's got his sword drawn, and he says, are you for us or, or are you against us? And he says, I'm neither for you nor against you, but in this moment I have come as the captain of the Lord's host. Yep. And there, what really hit me about that scripture is that it, the, you know, we see Jesus in that picture, and there's many that are still saying, well, you know, the book of Revelation mentions the wrath of the Lamb, because many, will, many can believe that the wrath of God was fulfilled in Christ on the cross, that God's wrath was fulfilled, but then they'll talk about the wrath of the Lamb. Yeah. The wrath of the Lamb, I believe, is really pictured in this, this scripture when he encounters this man on the horse. This is a picture of the wrath of the Lamb. The wrath of the Lamb that is coming, though, is coming against this walled city mm -hmm. and on the inhabitants that are keeping us from inheriting our inheritance. Yeah. And so the wrath of the Lamb that people are looking for is still something that was fulfilled in AD 70 because yeah. the wrath of the Lamb was not upon, it really wasn't even upon unbelievers. Yep. It was upon those that refused to believe because they refused to give up. They refused to leave the bondage of Egypt. They refused to enter into this inheritance. Yeah. They refused to believe Christ. Yeah. And so because they refused to, to believe in this new covenant. They didn't put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of their houses. So the, all of the plagues were about to come upon them. And you see them beginning to unfold in Revelation. They rejected their Messiah. 
Yeah. They rejected the, they yeah. rejected that land. Yeah. They rejected yeah. to eat of it, you know. Yeah. Jesus again, you went you mentioned where Jesus is setting down that night before he's being uh cruci- or before he's going to be crucified. Yep. And he sits down, and he said, This is my blood that is broken for you. This is my body that is broken for you. Take and eat it, take and drink it. And it's really he's bringing them back to a place of, you know, they were sitting there, they've had the Passover, they've ate Passover every year for every year of their life. years, yeah. That so this wasn't something new to them. This is it's like Christmas to them. It's yeah. like well, this is what we do. Yeah. This is our tradition. We we sit down and it's a. I'm sure it was a celebration. I'm sure, but the true meaning of it probably had been lost on them at some point because yeah. it's just like well, this is what we do. We eat the lamb. We remember that we came out of Egypt, but we've been living out of Egypt for a long time. And then we're you know a couple of days from now we'll be doing another uh, tradition that we do. And and so it's just something they did. And and even while they were with Jesus for those three years. They had had the Passover before. They yep. had set down a Passover before, but this Passover was different. Think about that. Yep. When he took it, he said he didn't say, "Here's the lamb, brought you out of Egypt." This time, he said, "This is my body. Yeah, that is broken for you. This is my blood. Yeah, that is being shed for you. And if you take it and you eat the whole lamb, yeah, and you put this blood upon the door of your heart." We're going to leave this bondage of this system. Yeah. And we're going to enter in. I'm going to, I'm going to lead you into a promised land. Yeah. Now there may be a 40-year transition till this whole system is destroyed and yeah. I take you in. But if you follow me, I'm going to take you into yeah. the promised land. But it's not going to be from the blood and the and, and the the body of that old covenant lamb. It's going to be from the body and the blood of this new covenant lamb. And so we have to begin to take and eat this, and this is what's going to bring us into it. But what brought the wrath of the Lamb upon that city is they rejected him. They, again, yep. it was, he said, uh, they asked him in Reve- Revelation, the souls that were under the altar, how long will you avenge us? He said, not until all the blood of the martyrs is fulfilled. Yeah. All the blood of the martyrs that was to be fulfilled was all those apostles, those that were trying to preach to that city yep. and say, listen, you can come out of this. Yep. You've got every opportunity. You got, here's, here, we can, you don't have to keep these traditions any longer. We can have the freedom, and it's not just for us. It's for all the world, man, yep. and we can receive it right now, but they refuse to receive it. That's like when Jesus is saying, even in Matthew 24, I believe it is, he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how oft I would have gathered you under my wings. And you that killed the prophets, how oft I would have gathered you. Yeah. But you would not. Yeah. So your city is about to be left to you desolate. Yeah. And so the whole destruction, I mean, even when Jesus is talking, I know we haven't gotten to the book of Jericho. Well, that's fine, we've got to plenty it. of time. But I just want to lay some foundation of this. Even Jesus, when he gives the parables, all the parables, are really in relationship to what was about to happen yep. to natural Israel or that 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 Jerusalem old covenant system it wasn't even against the people of Israel. Yeah, his anger was not against them. It was against that system. That's right. That kept out faith. The whole reason why that whole city, that whole system, had to be destroyed, and why God was so meticulous, and the wrath of Lamb came upon that, was because God wanted to make sure there was no uh, confusion as to what system and what covenant we're under. Yep. If, there's still a, if there was still a city, if there was still a temple over there, and there was still a priesthood to be able to do sacrifices, Christians today would still be making a Mecca to Jerusalem yep. to make sacrifices, blood sacrifices, sacrificing lambs, and doing everything that old covenant system required because they would be in confusion as to what in other words, what they would be going is saying, well, I still got to make my lamb and the blood of Jesus wasn't enough. Yeah. And that's where true blasphemy comes. When yeah. you say the blood of bulls and goats 
is more be- is better yep. than what the, the sacrifice, the finished work of what Christ did. Yeah. You know, that's where the true blasphemy comes from. And that's from. what he's talking about in Hebrews 6 and Hebrews 10 when he said, if you sin willfully, or you, which means you miss the mark, you trample underfoot the blood of the covenant, so it's an unholy thing. In other words, if you go back to the blood of bulls and goats, there remains no more sacrifice for sin. No, there's not another lamb coming, you know. Even when, again, one of the parables he gives, yeah. as he says, you know, this man had a field, and he lent it out to husband, and he said, all I want is, is to you, for you to remember me, give me my portion. Mm-hmm. But the rest is yours. He said, he finally, he sent his servants to gather his stuff. They killed his servants. So he sent more. They stoned them. So he said, finally, I'm going to send he, the, the owner. So I'll send my son. Mm-hmm. Surely they will hear him. He said, but they took him and killed them. What do you think the owner of that field is going to do to those people? And they said, well, he's going to destroy them and give this field to another. Yeah. And that's exactly and what we, we read that scripture and we put that out into the future. But he was talking about. That's natural Israel he was talking to. That was that old covenant people he was talking to. I gave you the promised land. All I ask is that you did not forget the Lord your God and that you would remember me. But you did not. I sent my prophets to warn you. You killed them. I sent some more. You stoned them. So finally, here I am. I'm sending Jesus the Son, who surely you'll hear him. But you didn't. You crucified him. So what do you think is going to happen to this place? And And so that city was destroyed, and it was given to a believing people. It was given not just to Jewish, it was given to both Jew and Gentile. It was given to those that received the covenants, not by works. Yeah. Don't you think that's a picture of Rahab too? That's what like a Gentile people that you know that received the covenants of promise because they missed theirs, you know. Yep. Uh, So when you when you're looking here at them standing outside of this city, and I know we're about to run out of time, uh, but he's standing outside this city, the man with us, and he says, I'm not for you or against you. But now covenants the Lord's host, he's about to go against this city. The next scripture will start out with, and Jericho was straightly shut up because the people were afraid. And that's what happened in AD 70. The city became shut up, and then that city began became destroyed. And we'll get into it more, uh, in the, I'm sure, but I just want yeah, to lay some that, foundation and take our time doing this because I think yeah. this is very important patterns. Yeah. The scriptures are written. I think even uh, I think in Corinthians it even says that these things were written as an example to us, yeah, to show us that this pattern yep. is not just something that was laid out. You know, when they were eat, again, when they were eating the Passover lamb, they had ate that Passover lamb in remembrance of the Exodus. But when Jesus takes it on that night, he begins to bring it into something different. Yeah, that was an example. But here's the true deal. You, again, when you said they ate the manna, but they're dead. Here's the true manna. Yeah. And so he's showing us these examples to bring us into a place of really understanding where we're at. I I, I, that's powerful. You know, we 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 got a little bit about a minute and a half left, yeah. but you know, the truth of it is, is that when you see that, you start seeing how these patterns are pictures, and we we'll come back probably in the next segment and talk about that because yeah. where you were quoting from was First Corinthians chapter ten. These things happen to them as examples for us, not us, the first century church at Corinth. Yeah upon whom the ends, plural, of the ages have now come. It's not the end of this age. It was the back end of the old covenant age and the front end of the new covenant age. And where these two ages overlap, there's a 40-year period. We've got a chart we use sometimes to show that. But it was really, that was the, that was the ends of the ages, the back end of the old covenant age and the front end of the new covenant age. I hope you're enjoying this. Tune in again next week. If you uh, missed any, you can go back to our YouTube uh, channel and uh, they are archived Binge there. watch it. <laughs> and, and, 
And uh, what I want you to do is, if you like to become part of something that's reaching the world with this kind of a gospel, please uh, take that uh, number that's on the screen, call it. If you'd like to give an offering via credit card or debit card, you can go to our website. I think there's a code you can actually scan on the screen and give an offering or become a partner with us. Uh, or you can send a check or money order to the address that will come on the screen. We do need your help to stay on the air and to take this around the world. God bless you. Thank you for joining us. Join us next week. I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled, The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.